What is the surest sign of the Holy Spirit's power and presence among us? In the past few weeks, we've been thinking a lot about spiritual gifts. So maybe they're the sign. Maybe that's how we know the Spirit is here, if his gifts are in evidence. And when we say things like that, we usually think of the spectacular gifts, the public gifts, perhaps even the miraculous gifts. Is that how we know? Well, here's the issue with that. I can name Christian leaders who have had all of those spiritual gifts, even the spectacular ones, even the miraculous ones, even the very public ones, who have then fallen away from the faith, have turned out not to have been the real deal at all, and have actually left ministry, even left the faith, because of sin in their lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there will be people who prophesied in his name, drove out demons in his name, even did miracles. And at the end, he will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What we need to see is that the surest sign of the Holy Spirit's power and presence among us isn't so much about what we can do. It's about the people we're becoming. It's about the people we're becoming. Now, don't mishear me. Spiritual gifts are key to that. It's what we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. We need the gifts of the Spirit to become the people God wants us to be. It's not a choice between his power or the character he wants to grow in us. We shouldn't spurn spiritual gifts. We shouldn't be suspicious of them. We should seek them. We should remember that even in Corinth, where spiritual gifts were such a divisive battleground, Paul never told them to stop doing them because these gifts are too important for us not to pursue. We won't become the people God wants us to be apart from his work through these gifts in us. But what we also need to know is that giftedness alone is no guarantee. The surest sign of the Holy Spirit's power and presence among us isn't so much what we can do, it's who we're becoming. So if we're led by the Holy Spirit, what kind of people will we become? Galatians chapter 5 is going to show us, and I have three things to see. Uh, the first one might be coming up on the screen. First, we'll become people who serve each other in love. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. One way to understand this letter to the Galatians is that it's all about the freedom that Jesus brings. Paul begins chapter five by saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And specifically, it's freedom from having to keep the Old Testament law in order to please God. A group of people had come to this Gentile Galatian church and told them that that's what they had to do. But Paul is saying, no, God accepted you when you trusted Jesus. He saved you by faith alone. And you will lose that freedom if you try to earn what God only gives for free. Christ has set us free free. 
But here in this reading, we need to see that we're not to use that freedom for sin. We're not to use that freedom to indulge the flesh, Paul says. And it's important to know that when he says flesh, that doesn't mean your body or your physical existence. What it refers to is fallen human nature in opposition to God's. That instinct each one of us have to put ourselves at the center no matter what. And Paul's saying, yes, we are free from the law, but don't use your freedom for sin. No, he says, the best way to enjoy your freedom is to serve each other in love. In fact, that's what the law was getting at all along. And the thing is, if we do use our freedom to indulge the flesh, put ourselves at the center, then what happens is verse 15. We will bite and devour each other until we are destroyed. And it's worth asking, are we serving one another in love here at Highfield? Now, every church is going to have conflicts and arguments. That's just what it's like to be in church. But let me ask you this. When you think back to the last conflict at Highfield that you were involved with, would people on the other side of that say that you'd been serving them in love? Yes, yes, you were disagreeing with them, but you were serving them in love. Or would they say that you were so willing to get your way that you were even prepared to bite and devour to do it? No, if the Holy Spirit is at work among us, then we'll become people who serve each other in love, who use our gifts so that others can flourish. Here's the second thing, second point. We'll become people who struggle against the flesh. That's how we'll know the Holy Spirit is powerful and present among us. We'll struggle against the flesh because there is no neutral territory, no spiritual Switzerland between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There's a war happening in every Christian and it's a war at the level of desires. And that struggle is real and ongoing. It is true that for some of us, the moment we came to Jesus, some old habits, some old sins just stopped in that moment. That does happen sometimes, but that's not the full story, actually. It's not always that complete, and it's not always that immediate, and there are ongoing habits and struggles and temptations that we are called to turn away from. There is no way to say yes to life with Jesus without saying no to life on our terms. What will that look like? Well, in Acts, uh, sorry, in verse 19, Paul talks about these acts of the flesh, and he says that they are obvious. And he gives us a list that we heard read earlier. It's not an exhaustive list. Paul could say more, but it comes with a very solemn warning. At the end of verse 21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's saying if we go on living like this, not just if these things are occasionally in our lives, but if they've become our lifestyle, the pattern we live by, then it doesn't matter how gifted we are. Jesus will say to us in the end, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. No, instead we're called away from these acts of the flesh that we read about. So we read there, verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. 
Did you know when this letter was written, Christians were radically countercultural because they insisted that sex was only for marriage between a man and a woman for life. And I suspect that we have become countercultural for believing that again. We read on idolatry and witchcraft. These were ways that pagan religion tried to control or influence the spiritual realms. And Christians refuse to do them. And then we read of hatred, discord, jealousy, all the rest of them. All of that list have to go if we're going to serve one another in love. Being led by the Spirit means saying no to these things. They are not an option for us. And the struggle is real. It'll be ongoing. But you know, the struggle is also a sign of life. If it's happening, if you feel like there's a battle on from day to day, you're struggling against greed or gossip or bad temper. If you find yourself having to repent often, having to apologize often, that's a very encouraging sign. It tells us that the Holy Spirit's at work in you that he's getting to work on you and through you. So don't be discouraged by that. The struggle is real, and it's a sign of life. And here's the thing, the struggle is worth it. It is a clash of wills, but that's because the Spirit wants something better for us than any of us can imagine. Let me read you a lovely moment from C.S. Lewis, and I think it will also come up on the screen. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, fixing the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought that you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. If there's a struggle on, that's because God is making you into a palace, and the Holy Spirit is already living on site as he builds and builds you into the person he wants you to be. So we become people who struggle against the flesh. But you know, following Jesus is not just about saying no. We turn away from these things because we're turning towards something better. And so in our reading, Paul doesn't just give us a list of don'ts. He shows us the beauty of a transformed life. And that takes me to our final point. We'll become people who keep in step with the Spirit as his fruit grows in our life. The surest sign of the Holy Spirit's power and presence among us is not so much what we can do as who we're becoming. And yes, that will involve seeking spiritual gifts as they're at work among us, but also recognizing that giftedness alone is no guarantee, recognizing that power without character is so destructive. No, we become people who keep in step with the Spirit as his fruit grows, as he transforms our character. Now, part of that is something only the Holy Spirit can do. If you look at verse 16, only the Spirit can help us not to gratify the desires of the flesh. That beautiful list in verses 22 and 23 that we sung earlier, that we heard read earlier, 
Those are qualities that the Spirit grows in our lives, not acts we commit. They are not a to-do list for you and us, you and I to roll up our sleeves and try to get to work on. They are things only the Holy Spirit can grow. But at the same time, do you notice we're not passive about this? Only he can do this in us, but what he does, we respond to. Have a look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Of course, that's kind of in the key signature to this whole series of living sacrifices. Think back, if you can, to Romans 12, verse 1. It's in view of God's mercy that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Because of what God has done in Jesus, we give ourselves in response, offer ourselves totally. And Paul shows us what it would look like when we're doing that and the Spirit is at work. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think we could do a sermon series going through each one of those words. They're such beautiful qualities that radiate the, the generosity and the security that comes when we belong fully to Jesus. Don't you want them for yourself? Don't you want them for our church here at Highfield? So that that's what visitors and outsiders would notice about us. Don't you want this for our world? The horrors that have been carried out in Ukraine show us what happens when there is power and no character. But imagine if someone was living out verses 22 and 23. If someone had this fruit growing in their lives, you could trust them with any amount of power and they would never abuse it, never use it to harm anyone else. If you knew someone like that, you could mess up around them and they wouldn't destroy you for it because they'd be patient. In fact, you could relax when you were around them. You wouldn't always have to prove yourself because you'd be enjoying their love. And that's because, of course, this fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful description of Jesus. And as the Spirit grows it in our life, we are becoming more and more like him. That's the big difference between spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. The point of spiritual gifts is that no one person has every single one of them. That's how God has set things up. He wants to bless you through me and me through you. And we need each other for that. That's why the Holy Spirit has given different gifts to each one of us, and each one of us will need each other. You might not have a certain spiritual gift. That's okay. God will have given it to someone else, and he will have given you another one that that other person will need from you. But you see, the thing with the fruit of the Spirit is that it's a completely opposite point. None of us is exempt from seeking to grow in these ways, in all nine of the qualities listed here. See, it's possible for you to say, look, I don't have the gift of healing, but I do have the gift of administration, so that's fine. You should be able to say that. But you can't say, look, I'm not gentle at all, but I am very peaceful sometimes. You can't say that. You see, these are not fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. And so there's an organic unity to the way that they grow and grow together in our lives. And by the way, that's one of the ways we know that this is not just talking about natural personality or character type. Yes, some people are just quite chilled out. Other people are just quite upbeat. That's not the same as the fruit of the Spirit 
of peace or of joy. This is the work of the Spirit because only He can grow all of these things in us. And it's only possible in Him. What that means is that we are not Christmas trees, which if you think about it, are all slowly dying and you have to decorate them by putting lights and baubles on them from outside. No, if the Spirit's at work, we're an orchard where the trees are alive and the fruit grows out of them from within and you can hardly stop it happening when it's time for the fruit to be harvested. Pray for that. Pray that we might be an orchard here at Highfield. Ask the Holy Spirit to grow this fruit in your life as an individual, in our life together as a church. But remember, of course, this is not passive. We keep in step with the Spirit. Yes, only he can do this in us, but we seek to respond as he's doing it in us. And Paul gives us a very graphic picture of how active this is. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's a wonderful verse for us in the first Sunday in Lent, which is what today is. When we were saved, our sin was nailed to Jesus' cross. And what Paul is saying is, we have crucified the flesh. God forbid that we should try to draw the nails out. That's what repentance is all about, acknowledging that God has nailed our sins to Jesus' cross and then resolving to leave them there. Resolving to leave them there. Why not do that this Lent? Why not ask the Lord to help you leave your sin crucified rather than trying to bring it back to life in how you live? Why not ask his spirit to do that work in you? It will still be a struggle, but it's a struggle that's won as we repent and the Spirit gets to work. And the positive side of that is there in verse 25. We are those who keep in step with the Spirit. The word for keep in step there basically refers to marching together in a line. That's what we're called to do in our lives. Being led by the Spirit is not sort of leaning back and letting him wash us away in some kind of wave. It's marching with purpose and intent in the direction that he's setting opening up the scriptures and hearing from him, allowing him to set the agenda in our lives and then pursuing it, pursuing it, keeping in step with the Spirit. And when that happens, you get verse 26, a church that is free from conceit, free from provocation, free from envy, and it becomes more and more clear who we are becoming, more and more like him more and more like Jesus, as the Spirit transforms us into a community which serves one another in love, and as the fruit of the Spirit is just as obvious as the gifts of the Spirit. That would be a great prayer to pray for us at Highfield. May we be a church where the fruit of the Spirit is just as obvious as the gifts of the Spirit. As we finish, look back to the warning in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's what happens when the flesh is in control. But if we're led by the Spirit, that doesn't need to happen. We don't need to feed on each other, bite and take chunks out of each other. Why? Because we get to feed on Christ instead. And that's why this morning we're going to share Holy Communion together as Erica presides. That's the meal where we will be nourished by Jesus and he will feed us with everything we need 
We will feast on him and be nourished by him rather than fighting each other for scraps. Instead of having to tear each other apart in our search for security or status or significance, we will discover that all of those things are on offer in Jesus, that he longs to feed us with them. So feast on Jesus today. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And as you do, you will discover how freeing it is to serve each other in love. You will discover the power to keep the flesh crucified and keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Thank you.